chapter nine of the lady's mile this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the lady's mile by mary elizabeth braddon chapter nine lawrence o boinville's first hearing to the dowager mr o boinville had been very confidential he was as frank and ingenuous as some lovesick schoolboy in his revelation of that sudden affection with which cecil chudley's pensive face had inspired him the unconscious audacity which was one of the chief attributes of his character supported him in a position in which another man of his age and habits would have suffered an agony of self-consciousness a torturing sense of his own foolishness he was close upon forty years of age his childhood had been spent on the greensward of irish hills and valleys among the wildest of hibernian agriculturalists his boyhood had been passed in an irish city far south of the brilliant capital his manhood had been a long scrambling helter-skelter journey upon one of the dustiest and most toilsome roads of modern life his habits were not the habits of the men who were to be met in cecil chudley's world his cleverness was not their cleverness and those graces and accomplishments which in their education had been the first consideration were just the very points which in his rough schooling had been neglected or ignored another man under such circumstances and even another irishman might have regarded lady cecil from afar with fond admiring glances and returned to his law library in bloomsbury or his dusty chambers in the temple not scatheless but hopeless and despair being a fever of but brief duration it is your intermittent sickness of alternate hope and fear that hangs so long about the sufferer the victim might have speedily recovered the wound inflicted by a flying cupid's random shot but it was not thus with lawrence o'boinville he knew that he was eight-and-thirty and that he looked five years older nor was it long since the tailor who made those garments which the barrister insisted should be constructed after the fashion of his youth had sighed as he took his patron's measure murmuring plaintively another inch round the waist mr o'boinville and bless my heart it seems only yesterday when twenty-five inches was your figure the barrister contemplating himself in the glass during the process of shaving and scowling not at himself but at the visionary countenance of the sarcastic valentine or the unctuous o smay with whom he was to do battle before the day was done might have perceived had he chosen to consider the matter that he was by no means the sort of person whom women call handsome the strongly marked eyebrows so quick to contract above the cold blue eyes the aquiline nose the firmly set lips the massive chin and the broad square brow with his prominent range of perceptive organs overshadowing the eyes these were not the component parts of a countenance on which women care to dwell with admiring glances but that which would most likely have discomfited other men had no power to abash or to disturb the resolute spirit of lawrence o boinville perhaps the secret of his audacity was that he had never failed in anything from the boyish days when he had breasted the falls of the shannon 
and done battle with the power of the waters his career had been one long hand-to-hand struggle with difficulties penniless he had succeeded where other men's money had been powerless to win them success friendless he had trampled upon the fallen hopes of rivals who could boast of kindred and friendship with the mighty ones of the earth a stranger and an alien he had won for himself wealth and renown in a country in which vulgar prejudice had made the very name of his people a byword and a reproach was this a man to be turned aside from his purpose because the woman with whom he had fallen in love happened to be above him in rank and the daughter of a world with which his world had nothing in common no after seeing cecil chudley for the first time lawrence o'boyneville decided that he would never marry any other woman on seeing her for the second time he determined to marry her the most presuming of coxcombs could scarcely have been more sublimely assured of his own invincibility and yet the barrister had nothing in common with a coxcomb he was only accustomed to succeed if he wanted to do anything he did it and opposition or difficulty only gave a keener zest to the process of achievement he wanted to marry lady cecil chudley and he meant to marry her she might object at first of course people almost always did object to his doing what he wanted to do but he always did it had not his professional rivals objected to his success and banded themselves together to keep him down and had he not succeeded in spite of them in his native wilds mr o'boyneville might have twirled his shillelagh and screamed hurroo so light were his spirits as he set forth to call on the lady of his love in civilized and crowded london he could only swing his stick loosely in his hand as he strode triumphantly from the hall of the wasted footsteps whereby he drew down upon himself the maledictions of an elderly gentleman whose shins the weapon had smitten in descending that the pavements of the metropolis had not been laid down for his sole accommodation was a side of the question which mr o'boyneville had never taken the trouble to contemplate he had been to westminster had heard the opening of a case in which he was concerned and had given his brief and whispered his instructions to hodger a painstaking junior who was very glad to do suit and service to the great o'boyneville the great o'boyneville's client a soap-boiler in lambeth who was at war with his parish upon the question of whether he did or did not consume his own smoke was by no means gratified by the substitution and looked as black as if he had indeed in his own proper person consumed all the smoke of his furnaces but the distinguished irishman strode away from westminster heedless of his client's rage it was very rarely that lawrence o'boyneville gave his work to another man the solicitors who swore by him told their clients that if o'boyneville undertook a case he would see it through to the very end there never was such a resolute beggar said a fast young attorney who had witnessed one of the q c s triumphs the more desperate a case is the sweeter o'boyneville is upon it he has all the hibernian love of fighting and if anybody says peas he's ready to spill his blood in the cause of beans egad if there were a victoria cross for desperate valour exhibited in the law courts 
larry o'boyneville's silk gown ought to be decorated with it but to-day for the first time in his life the barrister neglected his work for his own pleasure that solemn crisis which for some butterfly creatures comes once or twice in every london season came to this man for the first time after twenty years of manhood he was in love and he was going to ask the woman he loved to be his wife he was going to ask her to marry him and he had met her on dr molyneux's staircase and he had watched her at a dinner-party as she talked to her aunt's guests he knew her so little and yet was eager to win her for his wife good heavens exclaims common sense what a fool the man must be and yet for once dear simple straightforward common sense is out in her reckoning for lawrence o boyneville knew cecil chudley better than she was known by her most intimate friends it was a gift with him this intuitive knowledge of human character this rapid perception of human motive and it was by the possession of this gift quite as much as by his cool audacity of showy eloquence that the irish barrister had made for himself a name and a position before a witness had kissed the book and answered a preliminary question or two lawrence o boyneville knew what manner of man the witness was show him the most trumpery photograph that was ever bought for eighteen pence and he would penetrate the inmost depths of that man's mind whose face was dimly shadowed in the smudgy portrait it was doubtful if he had ever read lavater and yet more doubtful if he had waded through the big volumes of george combe and yet he was in his own person an unconscious lavater and to him the teaching of the great comb could have imparted no new wisdom a man's eyes are not overshadowed by a bumpy ridge for nothing and to lawrence o boyneville had been given in excess that wondrous faculty called perception he had scrutinized lady cecil with eyes that were experienced in the reading of every expression the human countenance is capable of assuming he knew that she was pure and true and generous and high-minded a little proud perhaps but only just as proud as a good woman has need to be in a bad world he knew that she was a prize worth winning and he meant to win her no apprehension of failure troubled the serenity of his mind he did not expect to win her all at once had it not cost him fifteen years of hard labour to obtain his silk gown and could he expect that providence would give him this far higher prize without inflicting on him some interval for the exercise of his patience some manner of probationary ordeal for the trial of his faith and devotion mr o'boyneville did not believe in that french proverb which asserts that happiness comes to the sleeper i will serve my seven years apprenticeship and my seven years after that if necessary but she shall be my wife before i die thought lawrence but it may be that mr o'boyneville's fourteen years was only a figurative expression for he said to himself presently if i play my cards well we may be married in the long vacation and then i'll take my wife to ireland and get a glimpse of the shannon for the first time these twenty years arrived in dorset square mr o'boyneville did not endanger his prospects by any untimely modesty 
he told the servant who opened the door that he came by appointment and when the dowager's own maid emerged from some dusky back parlour whence issued that odour of heated iron and singed blanket which attends the getting up of feminine muslins and laces he brushed unceremoniously by that prim young person and made his way upstairs fortune favoured him she seems but a craven spirited divinity after all and always places herself on the side of the audacious cecil chudley was sitting at the piano not playing but leaning over the keyboard in a thoughtful attitude with her head resting on one hand while the listless fingers of the other trifled with the leaves of her music-book she looked up as the door opened and her face betrayed anything but pleasure as she recognized her visitor he had prepared her to expect such an intrusion but she had not expected him so early and had engaged an ally in the person of florence crawford who had promised to come to her dearest cecil directly after breakfast unfortunately flows directly after breakfast meant any time between ten and two and as the dowager rarely made her appearance before luncheon poor cecil had to encounter the great o boinville alone but in spite of the special manner in which the popular barrister had announced his coming cecil had no suspicion that the visit itself was to be of any special nature no eccentricity could have surprised her in the wearer of that tight-sleeved frock-coat and those exploded shirt-collars in which mr oboinville exhibited himself for the edification of modern society his solemn announcement of course only referred to the conventional morning call of the grateful diner-out the stamped receipt for an agreeable entertainment lady cecil was prepared to be a little bored by the eccentric irishman's visit and there an end i wish flo had been here to talk to him she thought wearily flo could receive a deputation of aldermen or a church commission whatever that is mr oboinville murmured some feeble truism in reference to the weather in spite of his audacity in spite of his calm assurance and unfaltering faith in ultimate victory his ease of manner his popular swagger and his ready flow of language abandoned him for the moment when he found himself in the presence of that unconscious enchantress who had awakened the soul of a middle-aged barrister from its twenty years torpor but the paralysis called bashfulness was a very temporary affliction with mr oboinville before he had been talking ten minutes to lady cecil he had drawn his chair close to the piano by which she was still seated before he had been talking to her twenty minutes he had asked her to be his wife she looked at him with a smile of utter incredulity mr oboinville she exclaimed you must surely intend this for a jest and believe me it is a very foolish one a jest lady cecil what don't you know sincerity when you meet with it well i confess it was foolish of me to come to you like this and to tell you i'd fallen over head and ears in love with you before a fine gentleman of the modern school would presume to ask you how you are but you see lady cecil i'm not a fine gentleman 
for the first seventeen years of my life i lived amongst people almost as simple and primitive as those happy savages columbus found in hispaniola for the last twenty years i have been too hard a worker in my own world to have any leisure in which to acquire the thoughts and ways of yours i never thought that any break would come in the rapid current of my busy life but i suppose there is one fateful hour in every man's existence i who so seldom go to parties went to molly nose ball i who so seldom talk to young ladies talk to you and before i turned the corner of harley street that night my destiny was a settled thing she has come said i and she brings my fate in her hand to my mind lady cecil that which your romance writer and your poet call love at sight if not an adam at his birth he is no love at all and so on is rather an intuitive consciousness which a man has in the hour that brings him face to face with the woman who is to be the happiness or the misery of his life i am not going to use high-flown language lady cecil eloquence is my stock and trade elsewhere the words cannot be too plain in which i tell you that i love you there is very little to be said in my favour i am what people call well off but you might reasonably expect to marry a much richer man i come of a good old irish family but proscription has diminished its lands to a single farm and the taint of treason has blotted its name i am nearly twenty years your senior and i have few of the accomplishments which distinguish the young men of the present day it is the cause of the leaden casket which i am pleading lady cecil and against all the outward splendour of gold and silver which my rivals can boast i can set nothing except the unselfishness of my love the strength of my devotion cecil had listened very patiently to this address she could not doubt the depth of feeling which was breathed in every accent of the barrister's voice subdued and grave in tone and altogether different from the sonorous thunder which so often awoke the echoes of the law courts she was touched by his appeal though it stirred no warmer feeling than a gentle thrill of womanly pity it is not in the nature of a woman to feel unkindly to the lowest of human beings who reveals to her a pure and noble affection a miranda will pardon and pity a caliban if his devotion is instinct with the divinity of innocent love are you really in earnest mr o'boyneville asked lady cecil i was never more in earnest in my life i'm very sorry for it i'm very sorry answered cecil gently i'm sure i need not tell you that i am touched and flattered by your preference for me eccentric as it may be but you must be indeed a stranger to the society of women if you can imagine that any woman knowing as little of you as i do could reply otherwise than in the negative to such an offer as you have made me yes i dare say it's very absurd murmured mr o'boyneville despondingly it's my headlong way of doing things a national characteristic i suppose lady cecil i ought to have waited a week or two till we knew each other intimately and then would there have been any hope for me if i had waited a week or two 
asked the barrister in that soft insinuating tone to which he had been known to drop after a burst of loud and lofty declamation with a sudden transition of style that had often proved irresistible with an impressionable jury cecil chudleigh shook her head gently i might have been less surprised by your flattering proposal mr o'boynville she said but no circumstances could possibly arise under which i could give you any other answer than that i have given you to-day and that answer is no it is mr o'boynville irrevocably no irrevocably lady cecil forgive me if i ask you a question is there any one any one who occupies the place in your heart that it would be my dearest hope to win for myself ah you don't know how patiently i would bide my time if there were ever so distant a gleam of sunshine to lure me on is there any one else lady cecil no there is no one else ah then that's bad indeed said the irishman with a sigh if there had been any one else i might have hoped mr o'boynville's habit of subduing the stolidity of a jury by a happy colloquialism when all grandiloquence of language had failed to produce an effect very nearly betrayed him into saying to punch his head he pulled himself up with an effort and concluded i might have hoped to prove myself the worthier man of the two but if there is no one lady cecil and you say the answer is irrevocable my doom is sealed i will not tell you that i shall die broken-hearted for in this bustling nineteenth century men have no time to break their hearts in the old-fashioned way they can only overwork their brains and die of some commonplace heart disease the effect of your rejection will be that i shall work if anything harder than i have been accustomed to work and go down to my grave a single man and now i'll not bore you any longer lady cecil and i hope you'll forget that i've talked about anything that isn't appropriate conversation for an ordinary morning call he held out his hand as frankly as if he had shaken off all sense of mortification or disappointment lady cecil had received her due share of matrimonial proposals and had been accustomed to see a rejected swain depart with an air of dignified sulkiness there seemed to be something almost magnanimous in the irishman's simple heartiness of manner it appeared as if he were rather anxious to relieve cecil from any natural embarrassment than oppressed by a sense of his own humiliation she shook hands with him very cordially and thought better of him in this moment of parting than she had thought yet but she did not make him any conventional speech about her desire to retain his friendship or her anxiety respecting his ultimate happiness she fancied that his sudden passion was only the folly of an overgrown schoolboy and she had little fear of the consequences of her rejection i dare say he falls in love with some one every week of his life and passes his existence in making offers that are refused she thought as she sat down to the piano after he had left her but even after thinking thus of her departed admirer cecil could not altogether dismiss him from her mind she might smile at the remembrance of his folly but she could not question his sincerity 
for the moment at least he had been in earnest but then it is the nature of an irishman to be desperately in earnest about trifles the arrival of a bloom coloured coat from mr philby the tailor seems as great an event to goldsmith as the grant of a pension can appear to the calmer mind of johnson mr o'boyneville walked away from dorset square vanquished but not disheartened he had been prepared for a rejection of his suit for for him cecil's irrevocable no was not entirely appalling his experience had shown him many a verdict set aside many a decision appealed against and are there not courts of appeal in the kingdom of lovers as well as in the vulgar everyday world of lawyers in spite of what the barrister had said to lady cecil he had been much relieved by her assurance that her heart and hand were alike disengaged he had affected the resignation of despair while a glow of hope had gently warmed his breast and as he swaggered along the pavement of baker street on the watch for a passing hansom he had by no means the appearance of a rejected and desponding lover i dare say she'll think me a fool for my pains but at any rate she will think of me and that's something mused mr o'boyneville how prettily her eyelids drooped when she gave me her irrevocable answer just as if she shrank from seeing the disappointment in my face and how good and true and pure she is there'd be little need for divorce courts and less work for the lawyers if all women were like her and i don't despair of calling her lady cecil oh boyneville yet there never was a good woman who wasn't to be won by the love of an honest man provided there's no mistake about his love or his honesty there's not a day of one's life but one hears of oddly matched couples what could pretty mrs green have seen in that awkward lout green says gossip why what should she see except that he loved her better than any other man in creation and then if fate is the master of men circumstances the tyrant of women a man may marry the woman he wishes to marry a woman can only marry the man who wishes to marry her and at this point the barrister espied an approaching hansom and beckoned to the driver i may be in time to see the soap boiler through his troubles yet he thought as he sprang into the vehicle westminster hall cabby and lose no time about it End of chapter nine